So we are continuing in our series on the Holy Spirit. But first, I wanted to start with just a a little bit of a confession, a little bit of my own life story. When I was a teenager, all the way to my mid-20s, there was one thing that I wanted more than anything, okay? I'm just going to share it with you, what was inside my heart. But little disclaimer, first of all, please don't judge me. Um, And this might sound a little bit pathetic if I'm honest, okay? But I'm being as honest as I can. From teenager all the way to my 20s, the one thing I wanted more than anything was a girlfriend, okay? Milton's laughing at me. That's okay. That's okay. Now, I'll tell you the reason why. I blame Hollywood. I blame Hollywood. Uh, For some reason, I was convinced as a teenager and in, in my mid-20s, that if I could find a desirable woman to find me desirable, that would make me desirable. And it seems to make sense. If I could have someone really love me like that, I would be somebody. I would be somebody. And I've always wanted to be somebody. I wanted to be approved in that kind of way. And so then a, a crazy thing happened to me in my mid-20s is God gave me a beautiful woman, inside and out, in my wife. And you would think that I would be satisfied. And I was, but there was something inside me that still was driving. I still wanted to be somebody. I still wanted to be approved. And so I'm not saying I had a midlife crisis or I had an affair or anything like that. I'm just saying that that was still inside me. So you know what I did? I became a pastor. No, I know that sounds weird, but, but, but let me explain. Let me explain. Everything inside me in my 30s, everything inside me wanted to be successful as a pastor. I wanted to be a successful pastor. And so sometimes I hit that mark and I would feel great. And other times I wouldn't hit the mark and I would feel something awful. Sometimes I felt crushed. Sometimes I wanted to quit. Sometimes I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I didn't know if I was going to make it. Because my work was much more than just work. It was my identity. I needed to succeed because it was making me feel like a somebody. And everything inside me wanted to be a somebody. I wanted to be someone that was important and valuable. I wanted to be someone that was successful. I wanted to be good enough. And so that's kind of like my life story in like two minutes. I, I... I wanted a girl to find me desirable because then I would be somebody. And then I wanted people to applaud me as a pastor because then I would be somebody. And this driving desire for approval to succeed, to be important, to be somebody has never gone away. It's still in there. It's still driving me. Now let me, let me ask you, can you relate to that? Do you, do you feel the same way? Thank you, brother. I appreciate that, Walter. Like if you're really honest... Like, if you're really honest, a lot of you are very driven. And then they just peel back the layers and just ask you, like, honestly, why are you working so hard? Why? What is it? Some of you can be crushed by criticism. Why? Why are we so crushed 
uh, when it comes to criticism? Why is it that for many of us, if you don't get the job or the spouse or the school or the grade or the corner office, it's more than just a disappointment, but you're crushed. And I just want to say, why is it? Can it be that that thing that you're wanting and looking for is giving you a sense of identity? It's making you feel like somebody. You're just like, if I could just have that, if I could just have that, then I'd be somebody, then I'd be somebody. And so we're always looking for that thing to make us feel like a somebody. Now let me just ask you, what, what happens if you got that thing? What, what if you did get it? You know, I got the job, or I got the girl, or I got the co- What would happen? You would be like, I would feel like somebody. You're right. But you probably feel like somebody for a little while, but then with time, what happens? You want more. It's not enough. You still got that drive. You still got something to improve. You still, you still want to be somebody. And I can totally relate to that. Now, can it be that what we really need, what we've really been looking for, is for the most important person in the entire universe to look deep into our souls and to say, you are somebody. You are somebody. I am satisfied with you. You are my son. You are my daughter. And you are somebody to me. Is that deeply, deeply what we need? And I would um, say to you that that's what I believe each of us desperately, desperately needs. We need for God to look deep into us and to say, you are somebody. St. Augustine has this great quote. It goes like this. He said, thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts, our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. And the human heart is always looking, always wanting to be somebody, looking in all the wrong places that will ultimately disappoint you until the most important person in the universe looks in your soul and says, you are my son, you are my daughter, and I'm crazy about you. And that's deeply what we long for, and that's deeply what we have. We have it objectively through Jesus Christ, and we have it subjectively through the Holy Spirit. You have that affirmation because Jesus died on a cross for you. And that experience can be yours through the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that that thing that we deeply, deeply long for? Do you know that happened to Jesus? I mean, if you open in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, what you will see is that when Jesus was getting baptized, the Holy Spirit was coming down from heaven And Jesus was looking up, and Father God was looking down in all this delight, like, you are my son. And what did did God the Father say? This is my son, with whom I am well pleased. Can it be that the desperate aching of every human heart is for God to look deeply into their soul and to say to them, you are my son. I'm crazy about you. And that's what Jesus received in chapter 1 of Mark. Now, uh, turn with me to Galatians 4. I, I want to show you that each one of you who believes in God, that is also what you have received in Jesus. Galatians 4. We're going to go through this pretty quick. Paul says, And because you are sons, 
God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Uh, It's interesting, in this entire book, it's written in Greek. Entire letter, written in Greek. One word is written in Aramaic. Can you guess what that one word is? It's Abba. Now, it's a mystery. Why would the whole letter be in Greek, but one word be in Aramaic? And the answer is because when Jesus would pray to his father, that is the word that Jesus would use to address his father. Now, what does that mean? Why didn't Paul translate it to, like, father? Why did he keep it in Aramaic? This is the implication. If you are in Christ, that means that you have the same relationship, the same access to God that Jesus did. That's That's just shocking. But if Jesus looked at his father and said, Abba, that means what you have in Christ is that same access to Jesus and you have that same love. And that means when God looks at you, he looks at you with the same love that he has for his own son. That's shocking. But that's what you have in Jesus. Now at this point, I just want to make this point really stand out because I think it's really worth reiterating that God puts his spirit into your heart and through his spirit you are crying out, you are realizing, you are experiencing the fullness of your sonship. It's through the Holy Spirit. How does that love become real? It's through the Holy Spirit. Okay, now turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to go to verse 14. For this reason, this is the great apostle, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray, this is Paul's prayer, that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power. Now pay attention with the next three words. Say it with me. Through his spirit. In your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Okay, let me hear you guys say that again, through his spirit. Okay, same thing as what we read in in Galatians 4. How do we know the love of God? How do you know your true identity as a son? How does a person come to experience God's love as real? And the the answer that Paul gives you, it's, it's through his spirit. Okay, now, verse 17b, Paul goes on. He's praying. He's going to tell you what he prays for. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all. Okay, now, let me just be clear. Paul's not just praying this for some Christians. Some get to experience it. Others don't. All. All. This is a, this is a prayer for all with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep. How wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That's interesting, surpasses knowledge. That means it transcends knowledge. So on the one hand, he wants you to know it, but then on the other hand, he's saying it's so big, it's so high, it's so wide, You can't possibly know it all in your lifetime. 
that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So here is Paul saying, I want you to grasp how great, how wide, how long, how high and deep, although it's ungraspable. I want it measured to you, but you know something? It's unmeasurable. It's like trying to take in the ocean of God's love. How wide, how high, how deep. Okay, there's, there's a very important question that I want to ask. I, I think it has a lot of implications for us right here. here. Here's the question. Who is Paul writing to? It's not a complicated question. Who, who, who is Paul writing to? He, he's praying this for people. He's writing to, who, who are they? The people of Ephesus and the people of Ephesus are the Christians. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Why does Paul need to pray this for Christians? Because you would think that Christians already know the love of God. That's how they became Christian. Why is he praying this for Christians? I think it's like what Walter said. He said, I, I knew the love of Jesus, but I don't think I knew it deep enough. There's only one explanation for why Paul is praying this for Christians, which is that maybe a lot of the believers in Ephesus kind of knew about the love of God in their heads, but not really in their hearts. Or, or maybe they knew the love of God like a level two, but they didn't know it in a level ten. Now, let me, let me give you an example. Um, how many of you guys have ever gone skydiving? Raise your hands. Okay, like five of you. Uh, I, on my 40th birthday, it was a pretty special year. My wife says to me, what do you want? I said, you know, I, I want to go skydiving. Take me skydiving. Okay, and so she did. I mean, she didn't go herself. She sent me strapped to another man. But anyway, I went skydiving. Now, I want to tell you all about it. Uh, I, they took me, it was two miles up. And, and, the, and the, the scene I remember is, is when we got to the very edge of the plane and I'm standing and the whole world is like right at my footstep. And it's like, yeah, jump, okay? And then, and then when I was like hurling down and the wind was like curling at my face, hurl is an interesting word, but um, it was like 125 miles winds were blowing at my face. I was yelling. I couldn't even hear uh, the sound travel from my mouth to my ears. Okay, so let me ask you, how many of you now know skydiving? Because I just told it to you. How many of you are like, yes, I've, I've done the skydiving thing now? None of you, right? Oh, but I just described it to you. Ah, but there's a difference between hearing about skydiving and how high and what it was like. There's a difference between hearing that and actually experiencing it, right? No, it's the same way. I, I could just sit here and describe the dimensions of God's love to you. Yes, but it's quite another thing to experience it. And the point that I'm trying to make, it, it's the Holy Spirit inside you that makes that love real. Otherwise, it's just an abstract concept. Now, I'm not saying that it has to be an experience that you write down and you think about for the rest of your lives, which would be nice. But what I see from this passage in Ephesians 3 is you are sensing the power 
that you have been given in Christ so that your attitudes and your feelings and your behaviors are deeply, deeply changed. And that's what Paul is talking about. He says, I pray that through God's power, through his spirit, in your inner being, Christ will dwell in your hearts. It's one thing to hear about it. It's quite another thing to experience it, the fullness of it. Now let me ask you something. Is this something you think you need? That's a legitimate question. I mean, I, I could share some stories with you, and then you might be like, eh, I don't know. That would be nice. I don't think I really need it. <clears throat> well, let me put it this way. Paul thought the Christians that he was praying for, that they needed it. In fact, he seems to pray this for all Christians. So I think Paul thinks that Christians need this. Let me add another layer. Jesus Christ, in chapter 1, received this from his Father. Do you think Jesus needed it? I guess you can make a case that he did. So don't we need it too? Is this something that you need? Or maybe this is another question. Is this something that you want? Or let me ask you another question. Is this something that you've been asking for? Deep down inside all of us, we need to be somebody. We need to be approved. And until we get that, we're just looking at for all these different places. And you might find it, but you'll eventually be disappointed. Because no one can give you that approval like Father God who created you. Like Jesus Christ who redeemed you. Like the Holy Spirit that wants to show you. Blaise Pascal was a Christian and philosopher, one of the great minds of history. When he died, it was discovered that he had sewn in the inner lining of his coat a description of something that happened one night. And it read this. In the year 1654, Monday, 23rd November, from about half past 10 in the evening until half an hour after midnight, fire! God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and of the learned. Certainty, certainty, feeling, joy, peace. What happened to Blaise Pascal that evening? What he knew in his head moved down to his heart and just caught fire. Who does that? The Holy Spirit does that. God's glory became real in his heart. Do you think this is something you need? This is, is this something that you want? Okay, but that's a story from, you know, hundreds of years ago. Maybe it's a little hard to relate to. I have a story here from just a few years ago. It's from a college student who came to worship at Christian Lehman Church, maybe a total of six or seven lessons. Yes, my voice is starting to go. Just, just lean in, lean in. She wrote me this letter. Hi, Pastor Andrew. I didn't expect to experience God in such a real and tangible way during my short time here. I think I came to CLC maybe a total of six or seven Sundays, but I was really pleasantly surprised by how welcomed I felt. 
how easy it was to get to know people outside of my age group. Before I got to Berkeley, I had been at a standstill in my relationship with God. I felt burnt out. I was holding myself back in a lot of ways because I felt burdened by all these doubts that I couldn't really even put into words. But despite my doubts, God continued to make himself evident in my life. After one of the sermons in the series on the Holy Spirit, while taking communion, I immediately felt something the moment I knelt down. It was like something had softened my heart. When I returned to my seat, I found myself starting to cry. Tears kept streaming down my cheeks and snot was running out of my nose. But all I could do was stand there and just receive what God was pouring over me. It was my first time truly experiencing God in a long, long time. And I don't think I've had an experience like it. I can only say that it was overwhelming, incredible, utterly humbling, completely satisfying. I felt so conflicted. Speechless at the limitless love of God, but also deeply ashamed of my own unworthiness and insignificance. I was overcome. I couldn't even sing. I just kept crying and crying and crying. I didn't want to move. I just had to sit and bask in it for as long as I could. During my time here, God has been so gracious and faithful, working powerfully in my life at a time when I expected it the least, but needed it the most. I can truthfully say that each week at CLC, I experience God in new ways. I am often moved to tears, because how can I not, whenever I just attempt to comprehend the depth of God's love? Best Diane. Now, I, I read the story and I realize that Diane wasn't really looking for it, right? It just sort of happened. So one day, God just sort of called her number. So what does that mean? Does that mean that we don't really play a role, that one day God just calls her number? Yes and no. You can ask God to show you his love, like really show you. But you can't really control how he chooses or when he chooses to peel back the curtain to show you. In Luke 11, Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock. He who asks receives. He who seeks finds. He who knocks, the door shall be opened unto him. And then he ends it by saying, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So Jesus wants us to ask. Jesus wants us to seek. Jesus wants us to knock. But when and where he answers, that is totally up to God. For a long time as a pastor, I would go from place to place, and especially at home, and just tell people about the incredible love of God. But, but I have to admit, I've had a lot of incredible experiences, worship experiences with God. But I have to admit, after years and years being in ministry, I realized that although I've had incredible worship experiences, I've never had an experience where God has shown me how much he's loved me. It was kind of embarrassing because I go around talking about the love of God. But I just feel like, well, Lord, how come you've never shown me? 
And, in, and it wasn't like this big, long complaint. It was just like one time I'm praying, I'm just realizing, why is that? And I said, God, how come you haven't shown me? And then I just kept on doing what I was doing. Well, one day, um, my, my kids in the room, they cried out at night. They were doing that for a season of time. And so I went over to the other side of the room, and I just fell asleep in their bed. Now, this part is going to sound really weird. I'm just telling you what happened, okay? So I'm sleeping in their bed, and I feel this presence in the room. Automatically, I'm thinking, uh, it's, is it demonic? It's probably demonic. Anyway, I felt this presence in the room. And this presence was about to leave the room and then looked at me and said, almost like, oh, yeah, I forgot. Came up to me, straight up to me, and I felt it coming straight up to me. I realized, okay, it's not, it's not dynamic. Don't, don't worry, it's not. It was, don't get, okay, so it came right up to me. And then it just touched me on the cheek. And the moment this angel touched me on the cheek, I was infused with the Holy Spirit. And I felt this deep deep longing and affection I have never experienced before. It was mind-blowing. It was overwhelming. Yes, I do think about that experience a lot. And I was touched by the love of God. It was incredible. Now I could describe it to you. I'm, I think you're just going to have to experience that for yourselves. My point is this. Ask Him for it. Ask Him to show you. In fact, do you have loved ones who don't know that love of God? Well, Paul was praying that for, for a church that they might experience it. Maybe we should pray that for other people too. Why not ask him? Why not ask on a regular basis? Why not ask as often as you remember? You have kids? Why not pray and ask God to, to touch your kids? You have, you have family and friends who are believers, but they don't know that incredible raging ocean of God's love. Why not pray this for them on a regular basis? That's what Paul did. And we can do that too. You know why? Because our hearts are always going to be restless, always going to be looking. And I think what St. Augustine said is true. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Let's pray. Father, I, I want to pray this for our church. Paul prayed this for the church. I, I pray for everyone here, especially these men. I, I pray, Father, the prayer of Paul that you would fill their inner man, their, you would fill their inner woman with the power of God so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. I pray this for everyone in our church. I pray that we might know the height, the breadth, the depth of God's love for us in Jesus Christ. That our attitudes, that our behaviors, that our thoughts will be changed by the magnitude of the ocean of your love. That love was demonstrated to us objectively by Christ shedding his blood on the cross. Holy Spirit, would you show us that love and make it real? In Jesus' name we pray.